If you'll turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We'll begin with verse 12. And just to remind, uh, well, actually, just to let anyone know who's visiting here for the first time, uh, we do believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the uh, inerrant, inspired, and authoritative word of the true and living God. So, uh, what we uh, make it our practice to do is preach through books of the Bible uh, rather than uh, chop up the Bible. in, in our preaching. So uh, we are moving through the book of Acts, uh, maybe at a snail's pace, but we are moving all the same. So Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 20. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Let's pray. Almighty God, again I ask that as I uh, attempt to speak all the words of this life, that you would uh, fill me with your Spirit and give me your help in order that I might proclaim your Word uh, as um, uh, faithfully and in keeping uh, with uh, the purpose for which you have placed this passage uh, here in the Bible. Father, I pray for the hearers that uh, you would give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe and obey your word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a, an outline on the back of your bulletin. And uh, if you would like to use that, uh, you may certainly uh, make use of that. Uh, I want to ask this one question uh, that is printed on your in the bulletin. Uh, how does God respond to human attacks on His glory? The reason I ask this question. It's because here in this text, the high priests and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, they become filled with with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. And this is not only an attack on the church, it's also an attack on God's glory. Uh, It's an attack on his gospel. They are trying to hinder the proclamation of the gospel. Well, here in our day and age, um, we have an ascendancy of Islam. And the threat of Islam uh, 
uh, here in the world uh, and its rise even uh, here in our country because of the uh, threat of nuclear, I mean not nuclear attack or maybe nuclear attack, but uh, terrorist attack um, has caused many in our country to want to appease Islam. And so you will hear from even our uh, uh, officials in government as well as in op-ed pages that uh, we do not hate Muslims uh, and we want the Muslim world to understand that. That's right and proper. Um, We uh, do not hate Muslims. God loves his enemies and uh, we, we as Christians are not allowed to hate them. Also, you'll hear that we are not a Christian nation. Strictly speaking, that is the case. Uh, we are not a Christian nation. If, uh, our, if the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were a Christian document, um, you would have in the, those documents the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ would be listed in those documents. However, in saying that, our moral, our epistemological, even our social foundations are built on Christianity. Um, but what has been most disturbing in the, these attempts to um, appease uh, Islam has been a noticeable uh, anti-Christian bias that has uh, arisen in our culture. And this, the reason why this anti-Christian bias is, so, is more uh, out in the fore is because there are many in our country that are trying to make um, Muslims feel more at ease uh, with our country. I've sensed it. I know you have sensed it as well, that there's becoming more of an anti-Christian bias. And so that raises the question, how do we as Christians respond? This is all the more urgent a question, because in the recent weeks, um, Terry Jones, a pastor, um, a, a quote-unquote Christian pastor, pastor has decided to respond by meeting uh, the hatred of Islam with uh, his own hatred to res- to meet force with force because Christians or because uh, Muslims hate Christians because they suppress Christianity uh, he has decided that it would be wise to burn a Quran uh, you've followed that uh, no, undoubtedly uh, in the the um, in the news these past uh, several weeks. I've had several people out in the community who, have, because they know I'm a pastor, have asked me, what do I think of uh, Pastor Jones? Well, I tell them that basically he's a nut. Um, 
his approach is anti-Christian. His theology is anti-Christian. He is aligned with the Westboro Baptist Church. Westboro Baptist is uh, a church out in Kansas that is not aligned with the Southern Baptist Church. They are an independent Baptist church, and these are the this is the church that is out protesting military funerals, um, and he is aligned with them. So, if we are not to respond as Pastor Terry Jones has responded, how are we to respond? Um, if, we should, if we should not respond to Islam's hatred of Christians with hatred toward them, and if we are not to burn a Koran every time a Christian is suppressed or a Christian is tortured, then what should we do? Should we simply allow uh, Islam to rule the world? Should we allow God's name to be blasphemed? How should we respond as Christians to the ascendancy or to the threat or to the blasphemies of Islam? I think what we need to do before we determine our response We need to see how God responds to attack, to human attacks on His glory. And so that is that first question that I have raised there in the outline on the back of the bulletin. And the way I would begin to answer that is by saying that God reminds humans of His awesome glory. We see in verses 12 through 16 that God is displaying His glory. But before we look at verses 12 through 16, I want you to look backwards to... um, Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Last week we looked at this passage. This, of course, is the passage where uh, Ananias and Sapphira um, sold their land, but they only brought part of the money that they had gotten for the land. But they said that this is all the money that they had gotten for the land. And they brought it to the church and they said, Here we are giving all of our money for the per- uh, in the in the selling of our land to the church. And of course, Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias fell, fell down dead. And then when his wife came in, um, Peter said, is this the full amount that you got for your land? She said, yes, and she fell down dead as well. So it's not surprising when you see in verse 13 that the people are a bit standoffish. None of the rest dared join them. The the apostles are doing great signs and wonders, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were regularly done uh, among the people by the hands of the apostles. So that, verse 15, people carried their sick out into the streets and they laid them there in the streets so that if Peter came walking by, that his shadow might fall on them. And the reason the Bible is saying this is because presumably, even if his shadow... If Peter's shadow should fall on these sick people, they were healed. Such were the signs and wonders that the apostles were doing. 
And they were not bringing them just from Jerusalem. It says in verse 16, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with the unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Miraculous things are happening here. I mean, you would think that all the people would be drawn to the church. You know, we try and attract people to the church by by doing good works and doing amazing things. And the apostles are doing amazing things. And they are doing uh, very loving and kind acts, healing all the people. And all the people are noticing. And yet it says in verse 13 that the people are refusing, they're, they're holding back, they're, they're refusing to uh, join in the fellowship of the Christians. Why is that? The reason is, God has reminded them of His holiness. No one would dare visit the fellowship of the, of the Christians simply to check them out unless they, they themselves had become Christians. They were scared. And the reason they were scared is because they had heard what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Listen to um, verses 9 through 11 here in chapter 5. But Peter said to her, he's speaking to Sapphira, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. God is reminding all of Jerusalem of His holiness. And the people naturally are afraid. You've got to realize Ananias and Sapphira, they were church members. They had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why they were a part of the fellowship. That's why they were, they were, uh, they knew about how the church was selling its land and bringing the proceeds in. But their lives contradicted their profession. They they pretended to be more pious than they really were, and God struck them down in His holiness. He would not allow these two hypocrites to remain members of the church. As I said last week in this connection, church membership carries with it both unspeakable privileges and sobering realities and our responsibilities. R.B. Kuyper in his uh, book, The Glorious Body of Christ, he says this in commenting on this passage, The growth of his church is God's concern. He will bless the church that is as exclusive as he requires in his word. He will add to its membership, and the only additions made by God are additions at all. Man-made additions are always subtractions from the glory of the church. We do have membership standards here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. And we have a membership class. And we uh, ask our members to uh, give their 
their uh, assent to the five questions that we typically ask. We do uh, believe church membership uh, is important because we believe that God believes that church membership is important. Our God is a holy God. And all those who love Him will love His holiness. All those who belong to Him will love to obey Him. In fact, you will so love to obey Him that you'll be willing to die to yourself in order that you may obey Him. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I told you the story of how powerfully uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 affected me. This was the passage that helped me realize I wasn't a Christian and that I needed Christ. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle John says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, we don't obey God in order to earn His love. But if you do... Love Him. If you have received Jesus Christ by faith, if you trust in Him because you know that He died for you, then your only response can be to obey Him. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul puts a test before the people. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Test yourselves this morning. Do you love Him? Well, how do I know if I love Him? Is it your heart's desire to obey Him? Our God is a holy God. And so he has made known to all Jerusalem his holiness through the death of Ananias and Sapphira. But he's also quick to remind them of his great love for sinners. Now let's look specifically at verses 12 through 16. God, through the apostles, is doing many signs and wonders. In fact, he's doing them regularly through them among all the people of Jerusalem. So that the multitudes are, are having their sick healed. Having their, those who have been afflicted with unclean spirits, those unclean spirits driven out. He says all the people were healed. God is intent because of His holiness on driving out the hypocrites. Why do most people uh, declare that they won't set foot in a church? 
because that's where all the hypocrites are. The hypocrites bring dishonor to the to the name of of, of Jesus Christ. They they uh, put a blight on God's glory, and so God will drives away the hypocrites, but He desires to draw sinners to Himself. And look what happens. Verse 14, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. And what has happened here is Jesus has unleashed His powers to build the church. He has unleashed His power through the apostles so that they are doing all these tremendous miracles. There are different healing um, ministries throughout our nation, throughout the world. Um, There are different people who claim to have the gift of healing. But I have never seen a church, nor have I seen an individual, with the kind of healing powers that we see here in the book of Acts. Everyone is being healed, even with Peter's shadow as he passes by. That was enough for them to be healed. There's never been a healing ministry since the apostles that rises to this kind of power. But Jesus has unleashed His power through uh, the apostles to build His church. And... um, this is this is his um, his great desire. I'm sorry, I, I skipped over a little bit just to try and save a little time. Now I'm trying to get myself back to where I was. So let me transition into the next point. And remember, here's the question that I, ris- I originally have have raised: How does God respond to human attacks on His glory? Well, first of all, as I said, he responds by reminding them of his awesome glory. Secondly, he encourages the church. Verse 19, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak. God encourages the church by using uh, the ministry of these angels. Again, as I've already alluded to, Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have entertained angels without knowing it. Here's the point. God never leaves His children alone or unprotected. I mentioned Elisha and Gehazi in my prayer. God opened up Gehazi's eyes to see what was really happening. That even though the Assyrians had surrounded them, God had surrounded those Assyrians and was protecting Elisha and Gehazi. Uh, by uh, having the hills full of horses um, and chariots of fire and and manning these chariots were angels. When I was uh, a brand new Christian, uh, I'd only been a Christian a few months, and I went out fishing with my, um, my best friend and my best friend's father. And all three of us were in a little John boat. Um, what happens when you put three rednecks in a boat together? Um, well, and I was a redneck, still am, I guess. Um, what happened was I got a fish hook in my eye. 
my best friend's father went back to cast, and we were fishing with uh, rubber worms. The hook went right through my eyelid between the bone here and was resting on top of my eyeball. As I moved my eye, as I looked, I could feel it on top of my eye. Now the worm was still on the outside and it's hanging down my face. So I had to go to the hospital like that. And it was really easy. What the doctor did was he numbed it up. He punched the bar, the bar back through my eyelid since it's only a little thin piece of skin, snipped it and pulled it out and then gave me a tetanus shot. I will go to my grave believing that God had an angel there that protected me um, through that um, and, and, and directed that hook to that, you know, less than a millimeter space to where something that could have been life altering became a very small, little, simple uh, thing to take care of. Um, I believe that God does use angels. God is at work in ways that you cannot see. Are you in difficult circumstances? Do you feel threatened? Are you close to despair? I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word, He uses angels to be ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. God uses His Word in our life. He uses His sovereignty in our life. He uses His people in the body of Christ in our life. But He also uses angels. And His promises to us are yes and amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, God here is encouraging the church. They have been put in prison, but he encourages them by sending an angel to let them out of the out of the jail. But here's the interesting thing. He's sending them back into battle, back into the streets so that they can preach the gospel. They have been arrested for performing miracles and, and, and preaching. And so what happens is they go back out and they still perform these miracles. And then they are arrested again. And they're, and they're going to be arrested again, we'll see next week. But they're doing all these miraculous things. Why don't... It occurred to me, why did God not use this miraculous power to keep them from being arrested? Plus, they're enjoying all the favor of the people. Why didn't God use the favor of the people that the apostles were enjoying to keep them from being arrested? Why didn't He simply provide provide protection for them so they didn't have to go to jail. Well, he didn't do that, but he did encourage them once they got to jail. And so let me ask this question again, or remind you of this one question. How does God uh, respond to human attacks on His glory? The last point is, He sends the church out to proclaim His gospel. Verse 20, God said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The church is God's instrument to proclaim His glory. We are His witnesses, Acts 1.8. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are uh, His ambassadors. And what God does is He sends the church out to fight in His behalf. The catch is, we can use no weapons except the weapons of prayer 
and of preaching and of acts of service that are all rooted in love for our enemies. That, those are the only weapons we have. Prayer, preaching, and acts of service. And all three of these things must be rooted in love for our enemies. We are not simply to proclaim God's word here within the walls of this church. We're not simply to proclaim God's word to ourselves, to each other. Um, look what God did. He let them out of prison. He didn't say go back to the church and have a Bible study. He says go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. He says he doesn't say go stand in the shadows. Don't go back to the church. Go right back to the temple. That is in keeping with the Great Commission. We are to go and make disciples. Let me ask you, are you satisfied with our efforts in going to make disciples? Do you think we have done enough to go and make disciples of all nations? Do you think we've done enough? Are you satisfied with what we're doing? We are not simply to go and proclaim the gospel to ourselves. We are to go and proclaim the gospel to people who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And we are to give ourselves no rest. Again, they spent the night in jail. And then what happens? The angel lets them out of jail. And he doesn't give them an opportunity to go and take a bath. He doesn't give them an opportunity to go and have a warm meal. He sends them right back out into the temple. From the prison cell, they go right back to the temple. And what God is telling them is you may not give in to these religious leaders who are persecuting you. Um, Their opposition must not deter you in the least. Uh, Your inconvenience at not having a meal or having a bath may not deter you. You must go right back out. And this is the pattern that we see in the book of Revelation. The people of God suffer. God delivers them in order that they may continue to proclaim His glory. In order that they might continue to proclaim His gospel. And then what happens? They continue to suffer more. And God says, continue to remain faithful in your calling. The opposition that we sense coming from our culture coming from Islam, coming from all quarters around the world, cannot deter us. It must not deter us. The convenience of our lives that we experience on a day-to-day life, the busyness of our lives that we experience on a day-to-day basis, our convenience cannot deter us. Our busyness cannot deter us. We must proclaim Jesus Christ even if it costs us dearly. The gospel is our only hope, and I'll conclude with this. This is election season, and I know that there are a lot of you who are looking forward to November 2nd. The health of our country does not rest on the outcome of an election. The health of our country rests on whether the church of Jesus Christ will proclaim all the words of this life to all the world. 
Terry Johnson says this. He says, this is the great weakness of, the, of American Christendom today. The American preacher will not preach the whole message and the American congregation will not hear it. Nothing will be tolerated that challenges the lust and the idols of the day. I sense a downgrade in our culture. I sense a downgrade in every culture around the world. Instead of progressing, we're murdering ourselves. Um, we are we are becoming normless, lawless, and it seems like nothing will turn it around. Well, here's what will turn it around. God loves sinners. And He will protect His glory. But how will He protect His glory? He will protect His glory by sending the church out right into the red-hot belly of the dragon, to quote Sotsenitsyn in his, uh, in his uh, fights with the Soviet Union. He will send us out into the red-hot belly of the dragon to proclaim Jesus Christ. And if we won't go, well, then he'll send out our children. And if our children won't go, he'll eventually send out our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren. But God will protect his glory. He will fight for his glory. And he will gain the victory. And it may be at the blood, at the cost of the blood of faithful saints. The blood of, of, of God's saints being spilled will be the tidal wave whereby God wipes out opposition and where He will restore His glory here in the world. This is how God fights. This is how He will win. And He will use the church. Will we join Him in that battle? Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would uh, send us out. I'm reminded of um, Isaiah. Who will go for me? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Help us to fight, knowing that the, the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they are strong and mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. And we can uh, fight against the principalities, against the powers of this dark world, and we can be more than overcomers because of the gospel. Because it is the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now help us to believe that your gospel is indeed that powerful and help us to take it up as the sword of the Spirit and use it to establish your glory here in our country and around the world and all nations among all peoples. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.